Last week, I started a two-part series, and it was kind of sad. I gave you the bad news. I've been thinking about this as we talked through our other series, Nonsense, and we talked about some things that people believe that they shouldn't believe, things that are not really in the Bible. And so we talked through that stuff, and we kept coming back to this idea that the world is hungry for hope. That really is true. Now, you may not see it in the eyes of the person that you deal with at your job that maybe is grumpy and all of those things. You may not recognize it, but the heart of humanity hungers for hope. And so last week, uh, we talked about the bad news because we said the majority of people want the bad news first. But this week, I get to give you the good news. Somebody say amen. All right. Um, so I hope that last week's homework was done. I prayed for each one of us this past week that we would truly take time to pray for the names of the people that we wrote down on that prayer card and that we would pray that God would give us an opportunity. Um, I don't, I don't assume to know how God works all things out. But my father was hospitalized this week. It was an urgent thing. And they went in, found some issues with his liver, his gallbladder, his pancreas, which was a reoccurring thing, and all of that stuff. And I haven't talked to my brother in months. Because of that, I was able to talk to him this week. And I've prayed for him all week long, fervently, that God would give me an opportunity to talk to him again about the Lord. And this week, I had that opportunity because my dad was in the hospital. Now, like I said, I don't know how God works all things, but I do know that God gave me the opportunity. I simply just asked. So continue to pray for those people. Um, The bad news has to be told, but it's got to be told in love and with grace. And we can never forget the good news. So today, I'm going to give you some good news. Um, We're going to talk about heaven today, and I'm going to share with you some points that I think are really important for you to think about scripturally, but I'm also at the end of this message going to do something that I don't do frequently, and that is answer some frequently asked questions. So I'm going to give you the questions that are most commonly asked, and then I'm going to give you some answers to those things so that you know. Um, The modern idea of heaven is based on a series of half-truths, I would say, and misunderstood passages, and really it's based on the fact that people just don't read the word of God. That's, that's really hard when you come down to it, but that's really the truth. We think about things like, uh, people have said, you know, Saint Peter is going to be standing at the day, at the gate, checking roll call and things like that. We can't find those things evidenced in God's word, but somehow they've gotten themselves into the modern idea. So I don't want you to be, um, I don't want your belief in heaven to be distorted or deficient. Um, today I want to help you by giving you some facts about what God's word says about heaven. A simple definition of heaven is this. According to the details that we can find, at least, in God's word, it is the dwelling place of God and the righteous departed. I was waiting for that to hit the screen. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Heaven is the dwelling place of God and the righteous departed. In scripture, Christ calls it the Father's house. It's also called the heavenly Jerusalem. And I can give you references for all of these, but we're not going to go to them today. It's called the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom, the eternal inheritance. And in Hebrews, it's called the better country. I love that because it's basically telling us, like I said, humanity's heart hungers for hope, but we also hunger for home. 
That's where we find what hope really is when we are home with our maker. So point number one is this. Heaven is a real place. It is a real place. And I'm going to tell you something today that should cement your theology or your thought about it. Because I I really think that sometimes we think of heaven as being like something spiritual and ethereal way somewhere that you can't get to. But heaven is a real place. Look at what John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6 say. Jesus' words says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I want you to stop there for just a second. Uh, I do word searches or word study on certain words when I go through my messages. And this word place that we see translated is actually a Greek word specifying a geographical place. Jesus chose this word while he was speaking to them and it gets translated into our Bible so that we understand it is not simply symbolic. It's not just the spirit world out there. It is an actual place. So verse three says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know, the way to where I am going. How many of you've ever been lost? (laughs) I talked to a buddy of mine last night. Uh, he said, I'm going to have to call you back. I am so lost. I don't know how to get out of where I'm at. I said, okay, I understand. We've all been lost. Jesus is telling his disciples and his friends who are gathered there. And you know, the way to where I am going. Verse five, Thomas starts a conversation and he says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says this famous truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So all roads do not lead to heaven. This is clear from God's word that it is For us to understand how to get there, we have got to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the truth and he is the life that we need. So letter A is Jesus is preparing a place for us. That's what I see in this passage as he just says, I wouldn't have said this had I not been heading to a place to build you a home, an actual place for us. And the way to get there is to know him. That's the only way to get to heaven is to know God. Not to just simply believe in him, but to live for him. It's to have a relationship with him. And that's how you earn your ticket. That's exactly how you earn your ticket. Because not everyone who calls him Lord will end up being received by him. This is sad news, but we're in the good news. So we're going to keep going. This, this next point is that heaven is exclusive. Now this flies in the face of people who want to be politically correct, want to analyze whether God is just, whether he's loving, whether he's all of these things. But the truth of the matter is, is heaven is exclusive. I have a Sam's membership. 
I am exclusively there at 7.01 a.m. And the general public cannot join me until 10 a.m. I paid for that privilege. I get to use it. I ain't sad about it. They might be sad about it. But here's the idea. Heaven is exclusive. The only way you get there is by knowing him, believing in him, trusting him with your life and giving, serving your life towards his purpose. You can't get there by just being a good person. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that even though grandma was a good person, she might be in hell this very day. Nobody wants to talk about that because that's hard truth to think through. But the idea is heaven has got to be exclusive because God made a plan for his people to be with him and nothing else to be there. This is fair and this is just to have heaven be exclusive. So our God is a redeemer and a restorer for sure. And his original design and desire has not changed. One day it all will be redeemed and restored again. I want you to think about the original design that we read in Genesis of what God created for us to enjoy. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I want you to notice something. Work was a blessing before the curse came because he had to work it and keep it before the curse came, before disobedience, before sin. But the idea is that Eden will be restored and God will dwell with his people again. If you read through Revelation and get through all the weird descriptions of the crazy stuff you see, you'll understand that towards the end, it's a very clear description of a garden-like environment where there are trees, there are animals, there are blessings, there's joy. There's amazing stuff going on. It's because God is working to get his plan to final fruition to share all of eternity with his people. That's how he wanted it in the beginning. Look at what Revelation chapter 21 says. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. If you think about the Old Testament scriptures and you understand God's desire since making a covenant promise to the Israelite people has been, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. Then when Jesus arrives on the scene, he opens up the doorway for all of us, whether you have Jewish heritage and blood or not, to come and be part of his family. So this is incredible that God finally gets his wish. It finally comes true. Verse 4, it says something amazing, and we've heard this so often before. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. 
So God's design has not changed. His desire has not changed. He wants to live with us for all eternity. And the way that happens is us accepting his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and then committing our lives to serve him and to be with him. So no sorrow, no death, no crying, no pain, and all things will be new. This is an incredible picture of what heaven will be like. Point number two is this. Heaven isn't for good people. You say, what, huh? Heaven isn't for good people. It's for righteous people. So just because you did good deeds on the earth, that doesn't get you into heaven. Just if Mother Teresa, who we probably know, even the young people probably know and have heard stories of, her sacrifice, her love of others, her going, her walking miles and miles to serve orphans and children and diseased places and all of these things, had she not known the Father's love and been his child, none of that would count for eternity. It would just be a nice woman doing some nice things But heaven isn't for good people, it's for righteous people. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said those words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. You say, Pastor, this sounds like a message I know all too well. The point of this message is this, stop being stingy with the good news. For the vast majority of believers, especially here in America, We keep this greatest secret to ourselves instead of sharing it with others. We are embarrassed or we think, you know, they're going to ridicule us or we're nervous or we don't speak well or I'm an introvert or I'm a this or I'm a that. You fill in the blank with whatever excuse you've used. I've used some of them too. But this good news is better than good. It's the greatest news that's ever hit this world. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever chooses to believe in him shall have everlasting life. That's incredible when you think about it. So how dare us hold that to ourselves? Look at what 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this good news is available to all people. I said it already, but doing good deeds is not the ticket that gets you into heaven. Committing your life to Christ and fostering a relationship with him is what gives you access to heaven. John three sixteen and 17, I just quoted the first verse, verse 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Verse 17 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So going back to the judgment message, the stuff about how we should judge, that we're not to judge the world. God himself sent his son to offer hope to the world. So we need to live in that hope. We need to offer that hope to others. We need to be a shining example of what that hope really truly looks like. I want to give you some frequently asked questions that happen about heaven. And we'll share another passage and then we'll be done. The first question is this. Do we become angels? I mean, it's an honest question. People are like, am I going to get wings? How is this going to work? 
So I want to help you. Um, and let me say something. This is on the sensitive side of things. Uh, there are times where uh, children have passed away or something uh, happens that it seems like all innocence is lost. And someone says, you know, that she or he is now an angel in God's presence. I understand what they're getting at, but it's not biblically true because you are a certain species. Okay. You are not an angel. When you get to heaven, you will still be you. You are a spirit that lives inside of a body. You are a spirit that lives inside of a body. And if this is true, then I'm still going to be me when I get there. So there's no scriptural evidence for morphing into a different species. God created angels intentionally to serve him. They are supernatural beings and you are a supernatural being as well, but you will not change into them. So this is really helpful. Death is a relocation of the same person from one place to the next. The place changes, but the person remains the same. The same person who becomes absent from his or her body becomes present with the Lord, according to 2 Corinthians. So we won't become become angels, but we will hang out with them. We'll get to see them. They have voices. They can speak to us. We can speak to them. I do think that being a spiritual being will have no limitations. Gravity is a thing down here. It's not a thing there. My dad fantasizes about the day he gets to heaven and just be able to, you know, and fly from place to place. God don't have to put wings on you to make that possible. So you need to understand God wants you. He wants you Your human self, he wants you, the spirit person that you are, to live with him in eternity. He has angels who serve him and that kind of thing, but we do not become them. There's no verse in the Bible that you can take me to that will tell me that. The second frequently asked question is this, will we have work to do? I already kind of given gave you a hint a few minutes ago about Genesis chapter 2. Work was there before the curse came. Even though you may think your work is a curse. You will have work to do. The idea of working in heaven is foreign to a lot of people. But scripture clearly teaches it. Because of that verse that I shared in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. It being part of the original plan in Eden. That there's going to be stuff to do. The Bible says that in heaven there will be living things that need maintenance and need growth and need water. Like all of those things are possible, so we will have a part of it. In fact, it says that in this new city, the city of Jerusalem, if you read all throughout the end of Revelation, it says that the people who are serving God will reign over the new earth and that people will be bringing tithes and offerings and grain offerings and all that stuff. It's all in God. God's word. So we've got to understand there will be work to do. Our God by nature is a creator. Have you ever met a really creative person? I've met a few of them. Uh, they can be incredible, but they can also be really intense. <laughs> um, you know, if you meet somebody like that and I think to myself, you know what? There is nothing that's more close to the character who, of who God is than a person who is actively creating something that hasn't been before or, you know, has tweaking something and true, there's nothing new under the sun, but we're tweaking and making things the way that people would never have thought of before. 
I think somebody like Thomas Edison was a creator that was an amazing gift and he used it. We're going to be creating because we will be with God in heaven. Will there be animals in heaven? Okay, I'm going to tell you the cold, hard truth. If you know me, you know what I'm about to say. Yes, all dogs go to heaven and no, there will not be any cats. (laughs) Praise God. Okay. (laughs) All right. No cats because there will not be any demon possession available in heaven. So anything like (laughs) I'm so, I'm so sorry. People are going to listen to this message and shut it off right then. Um, revelation, but, but listen to this though, revelation 19, if you're paying attention, when you read God's word, revelation 19 says Jesus will return riding on a white horse. It says, and the armies of heaven will be riding white horses following him. So they've got to have stables up there. God didn't create them to just annihilate them here. He wants to redeem and repurpose and make new again. He wants to do this. Isaiah 65 says something pretty incredible. It says that in those days and in that time when we are with him, that a wolf and a lamb will graze together. So all dogs go to heaven, but not cats. Okay, number four is this. I'm just telling you what scripture tells me about animals in heaven, not the dogs and cats thing, but animals being in heaven. So if you ever had a heavy heart because of an animal passing away and thought, I wonder if animals will be there. I think they will. I think they'll be. it will be an exciting place that will be filled with all sorts of stuff. Number four, this question comes up. Will we be able to recognize one another? Now, this is something else that has developed in the modern idea of heaven. People think that somehow they're just going to get a memory wipe, which doesn't show up anywhere in scripture, causing us not to recognize family and friends. There are a lot of people that believe that. There are others who say, oh yeah, I think we'll be able to recognize one another. But, you know, we're not going to have marriage like we do down here. We're not going to have, you know, family like we do down here. Everybody's going to be one family, all those things. But people wonder about this. Paul anticipated being with the Thessalonians in heaven. He said, basically, and if I don't see you again here, I know we will be there together. It never occurred to him that he wouldn't know them or understand or see them and know them for who they are. So, in fact, we, if we wouldn't know our loved ones, the comfort of an afterlife reunion is totally lost. But First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18 tells us that we will be unified with those who are already there. So if, if we didn't have that, then there'd be no comfort at all. In heaven, I have no doubt that we will be able to recognize one another. Those that we knew And those that we loved here on earth. Because Jesus is going to be able to recognize you. Think about that. And number five is this. Will we get bored? The idea of sin being present on the earth. Basically sin robs us of enjoyment or fulfillment. The Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, there the, the result is death. So in a place absent of death, 
of pain, of sorrow, of disease, of all of those things, we are going to have what the old song says, joy unspeakable and be full of God's glory. So sin doesn't make life interesting. It makes life empty. It really does. So when there's fulfillment, when there's beauty, when we see God as he truly is, I think that there will be an endless reservoir, an endless untapped source of being able to be fascinated with who God is. I don't know that we'll know every answer to every question when we get there, because I think that God wants us to learn. I think that's going to be exciting. You say, wait a second, you saying schools in heaven? I'm just telling you, we're going to learn new stuff and we're going to develop in our understanding based on what we see in scripture. Heaven will be filled with joy. And if it's filled with joy, my gosh, it must be filled with the greatest of all joys being in the presence of God is going to be like no other. Number three, you have a responsibility to share this good news. I want you to think about that for a moment. This is not something, and I, I know um, we are really excited when we're able to give, um, to be able to help missions, causes, and things like that. This is not something that you and I can just shirk or you know, slough off or get rid of. We have a responsibility. In fact, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says this. Jesus is saying these final words to his disciples. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But stop for a second and think about this. Have you ever put your name in that verse? Jesus has told you that your job is to go and make disciples. How do you do that? You do that by living a life, but you do that by sharing this good news with those who are around you. See, if we're waiting for the whole world to hear the good news of the gospel and we're putting 20 or or $100 in an offering plate so that those in Macedonia can come to know Jesus Christ, but our own family members or friends or coworkers or boss are going to split hell wide open because we kept this news to ourselves, then we would be in a really bad spot. It says there, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, it says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even when they reject you, even when they choose not to follow me, even when they make fun of you, even when you don't do it just as perfectly as you hoped you would, they will reject you and problems will happen. But that should not stop us from sharing this good news. I asked my brother this week, you going to church anywhere? Just to open up the conversation, just to see. Because he seemed to be having like a nervous breakdown. Dad's in the hospital and these things are happening and I wish I could be there and all that stuff. And I was just thinking in the back of my mind, First Thessalonians where it says that we don't grieve like those in the world grieve because we've got a hope that I'm gonna see him again. I don't want to lose my dad. I hope everything turns out right and I get him for another 20 plus years. But in the meantime, I've got to understand that there's good news. Heaven is real and I'm going to see him again. On the other side of things, I've got to help others understand this truth. I want to read to you this last passage and I want to ask you to stand today while I read this. Second Corinthians chapter 5. This is 
an encouragement to each one of us. It should be. Verse 1 through 7, it says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 2 says, For in this tent we groan, longing... How many of you groaned when you got out of bed this morning? (laughs) Right? In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Verse 3, If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Verse 4, For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, because we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In following verses, it says, when I'm absent from this body, I am present with the Lord, if I'm a believer in Him, and I know Him, and I have a relationship with Him. So if you're here today, I just want all of us to just close our eyes quickly. If you're here today and you say, I want this good news. I've never experienced this. I want to do that today. I want you to slip up your hand. I'm just going to give you a few seconds. You can slip up your hands and just let me know that you want prayer for this. The rest of us, what we need to do today is we need to realize that this good news is great news. And I hope that your, your spirit is convicted today to share this good news with others, with friends, those you love, even those that you don't get along with. I want you to think again about the name of the person you wrote down on last week's card. And in this last song, I want us to pray that God would give us opportunities to share this good news, whether it's just with them or whether it's with others. And you could pray a simple prayer like this, Lord, whatever it takes make a way for me to be able to share this good news. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's one that God loves to hear. Father, I pray for Celebrate Church. In the season of Thanksgiving this week, as we go into this time and sharing time with friends and family, what a great excuse we have to be able to bring up this good news. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts so that we would not sleep well until we've shared this good news with those that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.